a new pastor was visiting all his parishioners going to their homes, and he would stop by unannounced, and he went to this one home, and um, the lights were on, there was music he could hear, he assumed someone was home, so he rang the doorbell, no one came, he knocked, no one came, he waited for a while, then he pulled out his business card, and he wrote on the business card, Revelations 3.20, slipped it under the door. Well, after that weekend's masses on Monday, the volunteers were counting the collections, and they put on the pastor's desk a business card, his business card, that had come in with the collections. And he saw it where he had wrote Revelations 3.20. Underneath, someone else had wrote Genesis 3.10. He reached for his Bible to check the citation, and then he let out a laugh. Revelation 3.20 begins, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Genesis 3.10 reads, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, for I was naked. <laughs> Today's gospel, Jesus' apostles are gathered in the upper room, and the door is locked. And Jesus comes. He doesn't knock on the door. He just appears. This is telling us something, a mystery of, of the property of the glorified body that our Lord has. Now, when he appears in the midst of them, he doesn't say what I would have said. I would have said something like, you bozos. <laughs> All of you abandoned me. Peter, you denied me three times like I told you you would. Only John was there at the cross. After all the time I spent to you, all the love I showed you, all that I taught you. But that's not what Jesus said. <laughs> he says to them, peace be with you. And then he breathes upon the apostles and gives them the authority to forgive sins. And this is the foundation for the sacrament of reconciliation, this beautiful gift that Jesus gives to the church. He delegates the apostles the authority to forgive sins, and that delegation has been passed on through the sacrament of orders to bishops and priests. More broadly, though, it is our common task, all of us as Catholic Christians, to reconcile sinners to God and to ourselves forgive those who have sinned against us. This Sunday, which is the end of the octave of Easter, also is known now as Divine Mercy Sunday. And that goes back to private revelations that a Polish nun received in the 1930s, St. Faustina. And her experiences are recorded in an extraordinary book called The Diary of St. Faustina. And during... One of her mystical encounters, Jesus appears to her, dressed in a robe, his right hand is extended in blessing, his left hand is touching his chest, and from there are emanating rays of light. From that same place where Jesus invited Thomas to put his hands to see that it indeed was him. Two beams of light, a white one and a red one. Now John records at the crucifixion that a soldier pierced the side of Christ to make sure that he was dead and that blood and water flowed out. And interestingly, there's even more specificity we get from this remarkable artifact called the Shroud of Turin, which I've talked about before. The evidence is overwhelming that we have a relic of the death and resurrection of Jesus. It is mind-blowing how God in his great providence um, made many features of the Shroud only understandable with modern science. The same age of modern science which makes people tend to disbelief, God has actually given us that as a powerful sign of the truth of the gospel. And speaking specifically of that wound in the side, I want to just read to you a summary of the research. 
Between the fifth and sixth ribs on the right side is an oval puncture, about 4.4 by 1.1 centimeters. Blood has flowed down from this wound and also into the lower back, indicating a second outflow when the body was moved to a horizontal position. All authorities agree that this wound was inflicted after death. Judging from the small quantity of blood issued, the separation of clot and serum, the lack of swelling, the deep color, and more viscous consistency of the blood. Stains of body fluid are intermingled with blood. Numerous theories have been offered for this. Pericardial fluid, fluid from the pleural sac, or fluid from settled blood in the pleural cavity. We're doing CSI, Jesus' death and resurrection here. So that was the physical reality, what happened, that, that clear fluid and blood which did flow from the side of Jesus. But Jesus now to Faustina is indicating to her that there's a greater significance to that. And so this is what he told her. He said the two rays denote blood and water. The pale ray stands for the water which makes souls righteous. The red ray stands for the blood which is the life of souls. These two rays issued forth from the very depths of my tender mercy when my agonized heart was opened by the lance on the cross. These rays shield souls from the wrath of my Father. Happy is the one who dwells in their shelter, for the just hand of God shall, lay, shall, <clears throat> shall not lay hold of him. Jesus asked Faustina to have a painting made of her vision and to include the words, Jesus, I trust in you. And we see this in the image here. It's a reproduction of that. Also, too, in our um, beautiful image here of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, if you get close to it, you see it's incorporated also the revelation of divine mercy because there's those rays that are emanating from the Sacred Heart of our Lord. Jesus taught Faustina a prayer, which is known as the Chaplet of Divine Mercy. And in that prayer, we repeat, for the sake of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on us and on the whole world. The message of divine mercy urges us first of all, to commend ourselves and to commend others in prayer to the mercy of God. But it also urges us to be instruments of God's mercy in the world, practicing the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. Mercy is love's response to evil and suffering. So mercy forgives evil that's done to us, and it also alleviates suffering. Often when confronted with these realities, we can become bitter and complaining. Or we can open our hearts to the Spirit of Christ, who forgave his murderers from the cross and who spent his life healing the sick, freeing people from oppression, and nourishing their bodies and souls. A woman was walking in the street. She had gotten home. She was leaving work late at night, and she saw a homeless, uh, homeless mother and child uh, camped out on the sidewalk. They had a little cup there begging for money. She saw them. Her heart was moved, but she could almost not even look at them. She put a dollar in the, in the little cup that they had, and then on her drive home, she was praying to God. She was asking God's questions. She was thinking of that mother and child, and she said, God, why don't you do something about that? And to her surprise, God spoke to her. He said, I did do something. I made you. For indeed, the Lord has blessed the world, humanity as a whole, 
with so many things and abilities to even develop those gifts. And all we need is to be oriented according to the mind of God and the heart of God in love so that we can be merciful. There's a spiritual work of mercy that all of us can do right now, and I encourage you to do it in a time of prayer before communion. And that is to resolve to forgive, especially if you have a grudge that you've been holding on to. Forgiveness is not excusing. It doesn't even necessarily mean reconciliation. There can be situations where you can't have an ongoing relationship with someone who's abusive, for example. But it does mean that rather than desiring the destruction of the offender, we desire their salvation. Looking at the wounds of the risen Christ, may we realize how much God loves us, each and every one of us. And as the Father sends Jesus on a mission of mercy to sinful and suffering humanity, so Jesus sends us on a mission of mercy.